we're, we're in the middle of Advent season, I guess. We're on the second week, um, and we want to begin to think specifically about worship, because at this time of year, um, you get a little extra uh, visual, extra audio, sometimes extra things that are going on. We put up decorations. You do it in your home. We do it here. It's done in public places or whatever. A lot's going on. And we want to sort of slow down for a moment and say, well, what's it all about? Um, and for us who know Christ and for the world that has yet to know him, it really is all about Jesus. As much as advertising and, and all the decorations and all the noise and, and concerts and everything else can, can distract us from that, we are to be reminded ourselves and also to remind others about God's great gift to us in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what Christmas is for, that we have an opportunity to worship Christ together and to invite the world to worship him as well. And so this short series, just this Advent series, these couple weeks that we have, uh, I put together a couple messages uh, under the title of Where's Your Worship? Is it self? Is it stuff? Or is it the Savior? And we're going to look at those in these next couple weeks. So I hope that you'll, you'll hear the whole message by coming and being part of uh, our Advent worship together. We start right away at 10 o'clock. I know some of you don't know that. You think we start at 10.15. You think we start at 10.30. Uh, we actually start at 10 o'clock and we start by lighting the Advent candles, reminding ourselves that this is Advent. Next week will be the third Sunday, then the fourth, and then we'll have the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. We will have a Christmas Eve service this year inside. Uh, we've got plenty of space. I want you to know this is a healthy building, which means the air is circulated out. So the fresh air is circulated in. That's why sometimes it feels a little cold when it first comes on. It comes in from outside. It gets warmed up. And then the other air is sucked out and put out in the parking lot or in the universe or whatever. Um, so we have a fairly healthy environment to do it in. You can wear masks as an added precaution. In fact, we recommend that. But we want to be together at Christmas time. We want to remember who we're worshiping and why we're worshiping. And I want you to understand that worship is about declaring the greatness of someone else or something else, right? Worship is not about the worshiper as much as it is about the thing or person who's being worshipped. Sometimes we can get the wires crossed, right? And we have to be careful. We have to sort of let ourselves be examined by God's word and the Holy Spirit and and make sure we make any corrections that are necessary so that our worship is truly God-centered. It truly is all about Jesus. In fact, if you remember back in the Old Testament, when God set up his nation of Israel after the Exodus, he brought them to Mount Sinai. He gave them the Ten Commandments. The first three commandments that God gave his people were about worship. We're about understanding their place. You know, have no other gods before me. Don't bow down to any idols. You know, keep God first. You know, even keeping the Sabbath was part of remembering where everything comes from. Taking a break one day a week is to remind ourselves that it's God who provides those other days in which we work hard, in which we receive for our work the, the income that we need and the things that we need to, to continue to live and be blessed in this world. By pausing, we say, God, we know it's from you. We know you gave it to us. And we give back to you 
a percentage of it so that you can continue to reach out to people and continue to show them your love. And so the Old Testament is really the groundwork that, that's laid for us. And Deuteronomy 5 is where you'll find the Ten Commandments. You'll see that the first three are all about God, all about what we do when we, when we realize who he is and how we should live our lives. But the first mentioned act of worship is actually further back than Deuteronomy. If you go back in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 4, this is where we have the first recorded act of worship. Now, I'm not saying it didn't happen before then, but as far as how the Bible is laid out for us, how God left us his record, it's Cain and Abel. And that always sends a chill into our hearts, right? Because we know that story didn't end well uh, for one of them. But in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3 and 4, Cain and Abel, they brought their offerings before the Lord. That's the story. They brought their offerings, and their offerings were different. The Hebrew word, mincha, right? They brought this mincha before the Lord, this, this thing. And that word in Hebrew means this gift, this present, or a tribute, or, or an offering or sacrifice. They brought something before the Lord. So this is an act of worship. We have it recorded for us at the very beginning of our Bibles. The first time the word worship actually appears in Hebrew in the Old Testament isn't until Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, and we're familiar with this because we just studied Hebrews, and Abraham was one of the fathers of our faith. He was one of the, the heroes in that, in that hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham and Isaac, in, in Genesis 22 verse 5, Abraham said to his servants, stay here while Isaac and I go up onto the mountain to worship. That's where the word appears for the first time. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it's sacha, right? It's sacha is the word that's, that's there for worship, which actually means literally to bow down. They were going up onto the mountain to bow down. Now, we know the story behind why Abraham was going. God had asked him to sacrifice his own son. Didn't actually happen because God stepped in and provided a sacrifice, but I'd be bowed down, wouldn't you, before God, if God were to ask me a, such a huge uh, thing, a, such a huge gift or sacrifice from me. I'd be bowed down for a lot of reasons before the Lord, just wondering what he was doing, why, why this was the pathway he had us on. But Abraham was obedient, and God showed up on that mountaintop and provided a ram for that sacrifice and showed his power to provide the sacrifice ultimately in Christ, as we know. So this, this idea is to bring something, to bow down, to, to be obedient, even if it doesn't make sense. Like with Abraham, I'm sure it did not make sense, but he was by faith walking through knowing that God keeps his promises. In the New Testament, we see for the first time the word worship appears in the Christmas narrative. In Matthew chapter 2, Verse 2, when the wise men come to Jesus. It's the first time in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that the word worship is used. Now, we know a lot about that because we usually have like a manger scene or something, or we know enough about the Christmas narrative that these men traveled from far, far, far away looking for the new king. 
and they came to worship. They used this word actually when they told King Herod, because they were looking for the king. There was a present king, but they knew that wasn't the king that God called them to worship. They went to King Herod and said that they had come to worship the new king. Proskaneo, right, is the, is the Greek for that, proskaneo. They came to worship. This means to fall down on their knees, to touch their head to the ground, their forehead to the ground as an expression of profound reverence. That's this, right? Right? That's that position. We don't often get in that position. I do sometimes in worship, some of you as well, but that is a very submitted, very, very reverent position to take before someone that you know is so much greater than you. And we see them do this with, with baby Jesus, you know? He hadn't even done anything yet in their book, but they also knew the promises of God about the Messiah, and they knew what he had come to do. And they, by faith, believed that he was going to do it. And so they just bowed themselves. All their riches, all their, all their power, whatever, didn't matter compared to Jesus. That's an attitude of worship that we are to, to take. But that's, that's an outward expression of an inner attitude. They, they, we, we see, like, okay, they use this word about bowing down. So they physically bowed down before God. But worship is really something that takes place on the inside. And worship is a little bit hard to define because of that. It's a little bit like, let's define the word love, or let's define the word hope, right? It's, it's not always easy to define. You know it when you feel it, or you know it when you see it, but you, you don't necessarily know how to define it. But I think God's word gives us a biblical guideline for how to define this. And we see that it is some type of expression in which you give up your own glory, your own position, your own power. You give it up. You lay it down to make sure that everyone knows that the thing being worshiped is awesome and amazing and worthy of worship. In other words, worth it. It's worth it for us to lay down our lives because Christ has done so much for us. And so it's that exchange of that understanding on the inside, and sometimes it works its way out on the outside. You can see it in a physical act, but it can't just be the physical act. It's got to be what's happening on the inside. So as we're entering into, and we are now into Advent, and we as Christians come to worship on Sunday together, what's important is what's on the inside. And you'll see that as we continue to look at God's word this morning. Now, unfortunately, in, in our Christian circles, in our Christian life, worship has somehow been morphed into just meaning a certain type of music. A certain type of music is called worship music, right? And then we start to think, well, that's what worship is. It's music. It's on the radio. It fills a part of our Sunday morning service. But while music is a vehicle in which many people can worship, it draws them and gets them into an attitude of worship. And that's right. That's good. It's not the whole thing. It's like a piece of pizza. A piece of pizza is pizza, but it's not the whole pizza, right? 
So if I were, if you're real hungry this morning, if I were to offer you, you want a whole pizza or you want just a piece of pizza? And those of you who are really hungry and know you can eat a whole pizza yourself would say, give me the whole thing, right? So I want our attitude towards worship to be, give us the whole thing, God. Help us to not just know how to sing songs of praise and worship to you and just get one piece of what worship means. Help us to understand it in its entirety so that it goes from just, oh, I like that song or that song made me feel a certain way or whatever to, to encompassing more and more and more of our lives. Worship is not a song. It's not just music. It's far more than that. It's an act, an action that we take place, that takes place inside of us and works its way outside of us that is about honoring God, about making sure he has first place, as Tanya said to us. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, as God's mercy is shown to us so vividly in the life of Christ, so in view of what Christ has done for you and for me on the cross, given us mercy instead of punishment, forgiven us and washed us clean, in view of that, thinking of all of that, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So it's a little confusing in this verse, right? Because he's talking about bodies and we think of bodies as physical. But our bodies contain, for now, in this world that we live in, our bodies contain our spirit and our soul and our mind and our emotions. The body is like a container, right? So the body has to cooperate in some way in this thing. So offer your body, offer your whole self as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The only way we're made holy is through Jesus Christ. The only way we please God is through our identification with Jesus Christ. Saying, I am a child of God because of what Christ has done for me. Not because I earned it in any way. Not because I do everything right all the time. No, only by the mercy of God. And so it's a spiritual act, but yes, it affects us, our whole being, even our bodies. And so you see people raise their hands in worship or bow down in worship or jump around in worship because they're so excited about what God has done to them in Jesus Christ. Paul also wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, this is good news, those of you who love to eat. Right? Your eating can be an act of worship. How? How is that possible? A whole box of donuts is an act of worship? No, not unless you share them with someone else, right? This is about the fellowship, the exchange of, of coming around a table together, having someone over for dinner, taking someone out for dinner, and fellowshipping around the Lord Jesus, sharing what God is doing in your life, hearing what God is doing in their lives, and doing that as you live your life. In whatever you do, go out for a jog together after you eat all the donuts, right? And that can be an act of worship. Kayaking can be an act of worship. We're going to look next week at, at some of the specific ways that some of you are drawn to certain types of worship more than other types. And some of that's just personality, experience, background. We'll look at that next week. But anything can give glory to God. 
Anything that you do in your life should be in reflection of giving God glory. So our whole life can be worship. Because we are Christ followers, we have to ask this question. How did Jesus define worship, right? When you're a follower of Christ, the gospels are so important because they give us these quotes, these things that Jesus taught, these words that he spoke. The disciples remembered as the Holy Spirit reminded them, write this down. Write this down when he talks about treasure in heaven. Write this down when he talks about prayer. Because Jesus, being fully God and fully man, helps us to understand God's heart so much better than the law than the Old Testament system. We struggle with that. As we went through Hebrews, we struggle with the altars and the, the blood and the sacrifice and the animals. And the, yeah. But when we, when we see Jesus in the Gospels, when we see his life and the way that he graciously loved people, laid down his life eventually for us, we see the beauty of God in that. So when Jesus spoke of worship, one of the places where he speaks of it in its most well-known, he makes a direct statement about worship, is in one of my favorite scenes from The Chosen. Now, some of you may not have watched The Chosen video series. I do encourage it. Get past episode one, though. Um, just hard to grasp what's happening right away. But this scene is the scene where it's the woman at the well. Jesus is there wait, waiting. And she comes all by herself at the, in the heat of the day because she doesn't want to meet anybody. She likes to stay away from people because of the life that she's lived and the judgment that she's felt because of that. And there's this beautiful scene that every time I watch it, in fact, I'll go back and watch it just to remind myself of just how gentle and kind and wise and amazing Jesus is when he relates to her. Every time I watch it, it brings tears to my eyes. But there's this, this part where the woman says, because she knows there's a difference between her as a Samaritan and Jesus as a good Jew. In fact, that's part of their conversation. Is like, why are you even talking to me? You know, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and we don't get along. Our people don't get along, right? So there's a brokenness that she's, she's wanting to point out. And she's... she's is speaking with him and going through this conversation with him there in John chapter four, you can read the whole thing. But this one statement that she says on this mountain, on this mountain, I'm going to, I'm going to turn to the passage so I can put it in context for you because they're not, they're not in Jerusalem. They're in Samaria. Right. And so on this mountain, she's talking about the mountain that they're on or the one that they can at least see from where they are. Right? So he talks to this woman at the well. Let me get to the part um, where she says, this verse 20, he's, he's revealed to her that he knows her whole life, her past, and he's still willing to talk with her. He shows her that grace. Verse 21, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. All right, so she's, she has already set up above there. I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem, right? John chapter four, verse 19. So she's comparing the two places of worship. And there's a controversy because the people who worship on the mountain she's talking about don't agree with the people who worship 
on the mountain where Jerusalem is. And the people in Jerusalem don't agree or acknowledge the people on the other mountain. So there's a, a controversy about where they worship based on their history. And so in that controversy, instead of Jesus taking up and saying, well, the history of your mountain is that that's where Abraham built that altar, but the history of our mountain is better than your history, and that's because we're better than you, and that had been going on for a long, long time already. He was not having any of that. He says to her, believe me, woman, the time is coming and is now here when you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father is seeking. For God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, without him saying it, he goes, it has nothing to do with the mountains. Which mountain you're on. What it has to do with is, is you, your spirit. And are you walking in the truth? The truth of who God is, who you are, and what that relationship is intended to be by God's design, his love, his mercy, his grace. It doesn't have anything to do with the type of building you're in, or even if you're in a building. It doesn't have anything to do with the kind of songs you sing, or even if you sing songs. If you have music or you don't have music. If you dress up or if you don't dress up. If the guy up front wears a robe or if he doesn't wear a robe. It doesn't have anything to do with whether you like candles or don't like candles. Or, or swing incense or don't swing incense. It doesn't matter. What matters is what's going on in your spirit and what is true. What is true? What has God revealed to you and revealed to us through his grace and mercy, through the Holy Spirit, about what is really true in relationship to God? And people. This, this idea of, of where you worship, <laughs> or, or, or which building you're in, or, 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 or how you do it, has nothing to do with what true worship is in Jesus' eyes, in God's eyes. Because true Christian worship is always God-centered. It's not about the mountain. It's not about the building. It's not about the carpet. It's not about what the people around you are wearing. It's not about how loud the music is or how soft it is. It's not about that stuff. It's about God. Do you truly know him? Have you allowed his spirit to touch your spirit and bring it to life? And are you walking in that life? Are you, are you enjoying the bounty of that life, the abundance of that life that he intended you to have? Because when you are, it doesn't matter what you're doing, washing dishes, vacuuming the floor, driving the kids to hockey practice, you can be worshiping. Doesn't matter if you went to the mountain or not. Doesn't matter if you got the music on or not. It's your spirit. Your spirit worshiping the one true God who's revealed to us in his word. I love this verse. Just, just flip back for me, Andrea, to, to the verse before. Can you do that? Yeah. You see in, um, in the middle there, it says, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Did you know God is looking for worshipers? He's actually looking for you. He's, he's, he's seeking you. He's, he's, he's looking. He's paying attention. 
He's not ignoring you. You're not one of a bazillion people. You're, you're one very special person to him. And he's seeking a heart of worship from you. He desires to draw you into a relationship with him that's so beautiful and so joyful and so filled with his presence that you are a worshiper and he's seeking you. So often we think that the work of being a Christian is all, is all us working at it. God is seeking you. And in this moment, he's revealing to you his desire for you to worship him, to come to him, to draw close to him. You see, as people, we tend to get caught up in where we worship or what kind of music we use when we worship or what other people are doing while we're worshiping. Oh, if I had a dollar for every time I had conversations with some of you about this. Well, she's distracting me. And I just say, close your eyes. <laughs> you don't need to have your eyes open. Close your eyes when you worship. Sit in the front row because then she can't distract you. Well, then the guy with the guitar, he's distracting me. What? You know, like, this is not worship. I don't know what is wrong with you. You know, just try to connect yourself to God. Try to connect yourself to the Spirit of God. Block the, everybody else out if you have to. Go, you know, spiritually go, I can't hear you, you know, because we are, we're just children, right? I love you all, believe me. You're just children, just like I am. And sometimes children are silly and we don't get the point. The point is that we come to God humbly, that we bow before him. It doesn't have to even be in a room with other people. It shouldn't always be in a room with other people. We have corporate worship when we come together and we have private worship when we're alone with God. You can have family worship. You can have couples worship. You know, worship is, you know, universal. You can have it in any way that your heart desires. Often we're too self-focused during worship. We think, wow, you know, what will other people think of me if I bow down? What will other people think of me if I kneel or if I raise my hand? Who cares? God is seeking your heart in worship. Doesn't matter what anyone else feels about it. God is seeking you and he loves you and he wants to connect with your spirit in such a way that the truth of God just continues to transform you and free you and help you to grow. Focusing on all the other things around you, you miss the whole point of worship. Jesus tells us that true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. This means that we'll worship from our heart, with our spirit, the way that God designed us, the way that God has freed us, the way that God has filled us to do. Worship can include way more than singing, way more than praying, way more than even reading God's word. All of these are important and they help to open our hearts and to get our attention back on God. When we participate in communion, when we fellowship together, when we serve others and serve those who need care, when we care for others, these are all acts of worship, and there's so many more. Worship is basically anything that lifts God up. It is not limited to one place, one act, raised hands or not raised hands, bowed knees or not bowed knees, or doing anything the right way. 
you ever have a conversation with anyone who tells you, here's the right way to worship, just run. Just run. Because there's, there's, the right way is just live your life for the glory of God. That's the right way. Right? However you live, how you treat others, how you communicate with the Father on a regular basis, just live it out. That is your worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. Keeping your eyes focused on Jesus, putting him first. And not just on Sundays. Putting him first every day of your life is how God wants us to worship. So true worship is not confined to the church. So often when we bring it up, that's the only thing that comes to our minds. They want us to Shift that a little bit here this morning. I want to challenge you. It's not just about this one hour on Sunday. If it is, there's not much to it. It's about our whole lives. Through Christ, being connected to God. Jesus talked some more about this glorifying and exalting God. But he talks about our hearts The words that he spoke in the book of Matthew, which I'm going to turn to, Matthew chapter 15, he's quoting Isaiah the prophet from the Old Testament. Jesus does a lot of quoting of scripture. He knew the scripture. He studied the scripture and he was able to use it and incorporate it into his life. But in Matthew 15 verses eight and nine, He says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. They worship me in vain. In other words, it's wasted. There's, There's no reason for it because their hearts are far from me. I want us to, to stay there with Jesus in these words. We can, we can worship him with our lips. We can sing songs. We can read scripture. We can say the right thing. And our hearts can be far, far from worshiping. Far from worshiping him. I need this correction as much as you do. I want us to draw closer to him with our hearts. You can stand there and not sing a word of a song and your heart can be completely enveloped in worship. But the opposite, you can sing every word of every song and even sing it on tune, in tune, right? Have a beautiful voice, but your heart is not worshiping him. This is what we want to renew in this time of Advent. This is what I feel like God has for us as a church. Let's make sure we're not just worshiping with our lips. Going, in, in other words, going through the motions. Going through the motions. Now, I don't know how, and we'll look at this next week, but each one of you is designed by God and, and, and filled with his spirit, and you have a uniqueness to you. So I don't know how, how that connection takes place for you. How that expression of honor to God or exalting God takes place in you. Because some of you are artists. 
And so the, the place where you worship God best is in front of a, a, an easel and you're painting and you're, you're, you're expressing what's inside of you as, as, as an act of worship. That's been true throughout the ages. It's where great artists came from. Musicians. You know, they can take what's on the inside and hear it somehow and put it down in notes and teach it and, and it becomes a song. You know, so those things we can start to see. But not everyone is an artist or a musician. But everyone can worship. And everyone can find that place inside themselves where their heart is drawn close to God. So close that they begin to, to, to experience the presence of God in such a way that their whole being, their body, their soul, their spirit, their mind becomes so amazed by God, so excited by God, so peaceful in God's presence, so joyful that they're worshiping. And they could be stuck in traffic. They could be scrubbing a pot in the kitchen. Doesn't matter. This is what Jesus desires for Christmas. If you're going to give him a gift, give him your heart of worship. Figure out what that means for you and practice it. I'm going to tell you something. you got to practice something in us. Maybe it was because we were sinners by nature and God had to come and redeem us. But something in us is set to, to really be distracted and really be annoyed and really be self-centered and really, you know, really be a whole bunch of other stuff. But ultimately, God designed you to worship him. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were just living their lives walking with God, talking with God, experiencing life together with God, they were in worship. That's what it is. A desire to be that kind of worshiper. That every day of my life, everything I'm doing, driving the car, going to work, coming home, is an act of worship. Even my work itself. I know I'm a pastor, so I'll use one of you, you know. You working in the management job that you have. You working at that store. You working at that school. It can be an act of worship. If your heart is drawn close to God in adoration. Adoration means just like, I adore you. There's no one I love more than you. You are amazing to me. That's what adoration sounds like. When you... You might not use those words, but when you come to that place, you know, you know. And so I just want to pray for us, and we're going to sing a closing song. My heart is that our hearts will be drawn closer to Jesus this Christmas time. We know Christmas is about Jesus. We don't want to just honor him with our lips. We want to honor him with our whole hearts, our whole being. Amen? Father God, it's a little bit of a mystery. It's hard to define, but we know you desire for us to worship you. We know that you desire for us to worship you from the heart. So Lord, you see all of our hearts at once. You know us in our inner being. You created us. You know how we're designed. I pray that you would draw us closer to yourself in worship. Whatever obstacles there are, whatever things get in the way, help us to bow down and lay those things down before you 
and not let them be in the way. This is an act of your spirit, but it's also an act of our will. Help us to desire to worship you from the heart, to live lives of worship day in and day out. By your spirit, work this into us, we pray in Jesus' name.